Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 33 to 37. Acts chapter 4, verses 33 to 37. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a little bit of a backstory. Jesus had been crucified buried and resurrected. And after his resurrection, he ministered to people, his disciples and to others, for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. Ten days following the ascension, the Jews were celebrating Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit came in his fullness upon the disciples so that they would go and minister the kingdom of Jesus Christ to those who needed to hear the gospel. After the Holy Spirit came, immediately after the Holy Spirit came, the disciples went out into the large throngs of people and began to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in Jerusalem. And in days following that, beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. 3,000 on the first day, and then many, many more in the days following. But the elders of Israel began to persecute Christians as heretics. They saw this new religion as as an heretical splinter off of Judaism, and they didn't tolerate it. They didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want their people being converted to it. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they were warned by the Sanhedrin not to teach and not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. But, you know, the story, Peter and John simply ignored the threats of the high council. Those who were being saved gathered wherever they could and whenever they could to hear the stories of Jesus as the apostles taught them. They gathered together to pray. They gathered together to minister to each other and especially to those who are in need. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse... Let's begin at verse 32. Acts 4, beginning at verse 32, reading through verse 37. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translation 
or which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God. We pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. His name was Joseph, or Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas, son of encouragement. In other translations, son of consolation or son of exhortation. But his nickname was far more common among the apostles and certainly more popular uh, among Christians than his given name. For a long time, I never knew that Barnabas' real name was Joseph. Joseph was a very common name in those days. Barnabas, though, describes who this man truly was. I want to share with you four lessons, four insights on how we as Christians today, despite the culture that we're living in, despite the times that we are facing in our own lives and as a, as a church, four things, four lessons that we can learn on how to be sons and daughters of consolation, of encouragement to each other, both inside the church and outside the church. Notice in our text, Barnabas was of Cyprian birth. He was a native of the island of Cyprus out in the Mediterranean Sea. He was born to the tribe of Levi, which means his family's heritage was that of the Jewish priesthood. So he was an individual who was trained and educated in the ways of the Jewish priests. We are told that his family was a family of means. And we find here in the text that the Barnabas himself was a man of means and was able to sell a tract of land and to bring it to the church so that the church could use the proceeds to minister to needy families in the church. When we're introduced to him, we find that he is already a Christian. We don't know at what time he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and we don't know the circumstances of his salvation. But we do know that as he breaks upon the scene in Scripture, he is already a man who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the time he met Saul of Tarsus, whom we know to be the Apostle Paul, Scripture tells us that he was a righteous man filled with the Holy Spirit and of faith. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, we find that even in his young Christian life, he was already an accomplished evangelist. He had brought many people to faith in the Lord. But the question I want to ask this morning and 
together we can answer the question from Scripture, how was it that this man named Joseph became such a spiritual leader and minister that he would be nicknamed Barnabas, the son of encouragement? How was it that he was an encouragement to other people? And how can we, through his example, see how we can become encouragers to our people in the fellowship and to people outside the fellowship as well? Before we get to the four points, we need to understand what it means to be an encourager. What does it mean to encourage someone? In verse 36, Joseph, a Levite, Cyprian birth, also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. We have to understand what that word means. Son of consolation, huios paraklesios, huios paraklesios, is someone who offers more than simple words or platitudes when you fail in an experience or when you experience a setback or a loss. And we're all familiar with some of those platitudes. Sometimes they do become a consolation to people. Sometimes they are not because people expect us to say those kinds of things. But the word parakletos means to come alongside. It is the word that Jesus spoke of to the disciples when he said he would send the Holy Spirit. The name is the paraclete, another comforter. Paraclete, the one who comes alongside specifically to help. Someone who comes alongside to help. As Huios Paraclesios, this man named Joseph, was one who spent his Christian life coming alongside people to help them in whatever need they had, in whatever situation they were facing. He was one of those individuals that just didn't offer simple words, oh, it's okay, things are going to get better, there's a new day dawning tomorrow, behind every dark cloud, uh, the sun is still shining, you know, all of those things that we say to people that really don't help at all. He was one who did not offer such platitudes to people who were in distress. He came alongside them to help them. In the legal profession, we would call such an individual a defense attorney or a legal aide. In psychology, we would call this individual a counselor. In finance or in education, we would call such a person an advisor. In the church, we call this individual a discipler. 
or a mentor? How was Joseph called Barnabas such a person of encouragement? First of all, an encourager stands in defense of other people. An encourager stands in defense of other people. And in this particular situation with Barnabas, he was one who stood in defense of fellow Christians. In Acts chapter 9, turn over uh, to Acts chapter 9, turn right a couple of chapters, verses 26 through 31. Acts 9, verses 26 through 31. This is after the man Saul had met Jesus on the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, was saved, went on up into Damascus and was mentored for a little while, was discipled for a little while by uh, Ananias up there and then uh, spent some time out in the desert alone with God. And then he comes back uh, into Palestine. And beginning in verse 26, and when, that is the Apostle Paul, when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him, brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. After Saul was converted to the Christian faith, after he was born again and his name was changed to Paul, he had a problem uh, assimilating into the Christian church. The apostles, who were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, were still afraid of this individual because it was too soon for Paul to prove himself beyond the reputation that he had as a Pharisee. And we don't fault the apostles for this. Many of us uh, have a suspicious spirit about us. Oftentimes we don't take people or we don't take things at face value. We want to have some time to think things through, to observe, to question, to find out for ourselves just exactly who it is we're dealing with or what it is we're dealing with. And so as Paul was having a difficult time becoming a part of the fellowship of the Christian church in Jerusalem, here comes Barnabas. And Barnabas takes Paul under his wing. And he begins to disciple the apostle Paul. He introduced Saul 
to the apostles again. And he defends him to the apostles. He tells them of Paul's conversion. He tells them of the experiences that he has had since his conversion. He affirmed to the hearts and to the minds of the apostles in Jerusalem that Paul was indeed a genuine Christian. And because of this, Paul stayed with them and went to work immediately with them in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person who would listen. And as a result of that, Scripture tells us the church flourished. The church grew. But Saul was not the only individual that Barnabas stood by to defend. After Paul had been ministering for quite some time, he was set aside to go and to share the gospel with uh, groups of people outside Palestine, outside the borders of Israel. He went on his first missionary journey. Barnabas went with him, and Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, went with them as well. But somewhere along the line, in the first missionary journey, John Mark decided he needed to go home. And so he went home. He abandoned the troop as they were out on the first missionary journey. Well, the first missionary journey was a success. And the group came back, Paul and his group came back, and they began to report all of the wonderful things that God uh, was able to do through their ministry, how people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Gentiles were coming to faith, so on and so forth. Paul decides that he wants to go on a second missionary journey, and so he sits down with Barnabas, and they begin to plan the second missionary journey. Barnabas says, I want to take my cousin John Mark with us, and Paul says, over my dead body. He abandoned us on the first missionary journey, and I have no time and I have no desire to take a quitter along with me again. He refused to consider John Mark as a member of the group on the second missionary journey. Look at Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some time, after some days... Acts 15.36, after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas was desirous of taking John called Mark along with them also. Paul kept insisting, now kept insisting is uh, fairly mild. In the Greek, he refused outright. He refused at every instance when Barnabas brought up the idea of taking John Mark, Paul set his heels and said no. Kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul and Barnabas 
successful on the first missionary journey. Barnabas into the work as much as the Apostle Paul was into the work. Many people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Many Christians being discipled. Many churches being started. Great brothers in the Lord of one heart together. Now on the second missionary journey, there was a sharp disagreement between the two. You mean Christian leaders can dispute one another, can have problems with each other. Christian leaders can be divided over certain issues. Well, if you've been in a Baptist for more than one day, you'll know, yes, they do. A sharp disagreement. Not just a disagreement, but a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas stood by John Mark. Obviously, Barnabas understood that John Mark was not as mature in the faith as he should have been. Obviously, he understood, because he was there, that there were certain feelings or certain things going on in John Mark's life that caused him to turn away from that first missionary journey in Pamphylia and go back home. But Barnabas was not going to leave John Mark in that spiritual state. He was not going to abandon John Mark to the anger of the Apostle Paul. He stood by his cousin. He stood by this one weaker in the faith. And even though it cost him partnership with the Apostle Paul in future missionary journeys, he was not content to abandon John Mark as John Mark abandoned the group on the first missionary journey. One way to be an encourager to others, to each other as well as to other people in your family or in your circles of influence, is to stand in defense of another person. Is to st- especially when that individual needs someone to stand with them. A brother, listen, a brother or a sister in the Lord should never have to face adversity alone. Never. A brother or sister in the Lord should never have to face adversity Alone, And I know we can say, well, they've got the Holy Spirit with them. Yes, they do have the Holy Spirit with them. But they also need someone, flesh and blood, to stand with them. To be an encouragement to them. Peter and John stood by each other before the Sanhedrin when they were being threatened. Barnabas stood by Saul when the apostles did not readily accept him into the fellowship. He stood by John Mark when Paul refused to include him in the second missionary journey. Barnabas was not known just for speaking platitudes in a bad situation or to individuals who were facing a crisis. He was a son of comfort. He was a parakletos. He was the one who would come alongside and stand with that person 
in the midst of adversity. He teaches us that all too often we need people to come along aside us, Christian brothers and sisters, to come alongside us and to stand with us in our times of trial and in our times of need. Second, an encourager invites others to minister with him. An encourager invites others to minister with him. Let's look in Acts chapter 11. So we're going to turn left a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. Acts 11, starting in verse 22. Well, let's go back up to verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and to Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. This was unheard of. Jesus came to the household of Abraham to bring the gospel and to bring the kingdom to his brothers and sisters in the faith, to Jews. To go beyond that was something that the apostles refused to do. But here we see as they're growing and maturing in their spiritual understanding, they realized that the gospel was not just for Jews, it was also for Gentiles. That anyone and everyone should have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ personally, to be recipient of the salvation that he came to bring them. And so there was an occasion when some of these Cyprian Christians and Cyrenian Christians had opportunity to speak to the Greeks, and they did so, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Barnabas was sent by the church. Who will go and check out what's going on with these Gentiles who claim to be Christians? Who's going to go and to verify this. Barnabas said, hey, I'll go. I'll go. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of the Lord, verse 23, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. He went down to check out what was going on with these Greeks becoming Christians. And when he found that 
It was indeed true that salvation had come to the Gentiles. He rejoiced with them and he began to disciple them and he began to preach to others and to bring them to faith. But he realized the task was greater than he could handle. So what did he do? He calls for the Apostle Paul. And he says, I need for you to come down here to Antioch. And I need you to help me to assimilate these new converts into the Christian church. And the Apostle Paul came. And for an entire year, they ministered together, bringing people into the fellowship and discipling them in the faith. And again, the text tells us that the church grew steadily in numbers, in ministry, and in financial resources as a result of their partnership. Bringing other people along to minister. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cities of Galilee, you recall that he brought his disciples together and he prepared them to go and to announce his arrival. He didn't send one out over here and one out over there and one out over there and another one over here. He sent them out together. And then on another occasion, when he sent the 70 out to minister, he sent them out two by two. Dear friends, let's understand something. In the kingdom of God, there are no lone rangers. And even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, did he not? The Lord sends us out in partnership with each other to minister to the needs of others. Why? Because one person can't do it all. Why? Because one person doesn't see all of the options, doesn't see all of the solutions, doesn't see all of the needs. How many times have I made decisions in my own mind and in my own heart about a certain situation, about a certain need, and then along comes Nancy, along comes someone else, and says, but have you considered this, or have you thought about that? It never dawned on me that there were other options. It never dawned on me that there were other considerations. Beloved, people who have been in ministry for years and years, people who've been pastors for years and years, don't know everything. I'm here to tell you that. Because I know, I don't know everything. Some of you think I do, but I don't. I don't see all of the avenues that we can walk down in order to minister to folks. I don't understand all of the options that people might have that I can lay out in front of them. We need each other to minister together to others. How are we in this instance, to be sons and daughters of encouragement? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn right to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 2. 1 Timothy 5. 
verses 1 and 2. Are you there yet? It's in the New Testament. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, young pastor, church at Ephesus. And he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older brother, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Note the word appeal. Paul says, appeal to them. The word is parakaleo. Parakaleo. You've heard that word before. It means to encourage. In some translations, to exhort. In other translations, to entreat. But what Paul is saying here is, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but come alongside him. As a pastor, you want to sharply rebuke an older person for for doing this or saying that or whatever. Paul says, don't criticize him. Don't rebuke him sharply. Come alongside him. And speak with him. And help him to see your side of the issue. And do the same thing with the younger men as brothers and with the older women as well as with the younger women. It's, listen friends, it's very easy to stand up, well for some people it's not for me, it's very easy for some people to stand up in a pulpit or uh, in a class or something like that and point their bony finger in your face and tell you what you can do and what you can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Paul is saying, don't do that. What you need to do is come alongside individuals and counsel with them, work with them, minister to them, and allow them to minister to you, and together continue. I'll tell you this, dear friends, when you sharply rebuke someone, the walls of cooperation go up. And you'll find yourself oftentimes by yourself trying to minister, wondering why people won't come alongside you and help you. Why people won't come alongside you and minister with you. Paul is saying there is a better way to get people to minister with you than to simply point out their foibles, point out their flaws, criticize them, ridicule them, because they may have a different point of view. Come alongside them. Anyone can criticize another for his failures and for his weaknesses and for his poor judgment. But a true spiritual brother or sister comes alongside the person and ministers to that person, disciples that person, helps that person. Turn to Titus. Turn to the right and go to the book of Titus. Chapter 2. If you've gone to Hebrews, you've gone too far. So you're at Titus, just after 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. But as for you, the Apostle Paul is writing, 
But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Listen to him. Listen to the Apostle Paul. As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. And you have to ask the question at this juncture, why? Why must older men have these characteristics and the older women have these characteristics? Well, he, asks, he answers the question, verse 4 that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Notice what he says here that they may encourage, verse 4, they may encourage the young women. What does that mean? It's the same word, parakletos. Come alongside them. Listen, friends, if you don't know this, then let me just simply inform you. Do you know that there are young Christian women, even in our own church, who do not know how to raise their children? Did you know that? Do you know that there are young Christian women who do not know how to relate to their non-Christian husbands? Do you know that there are Christian men and Christian women in our fellowship who do not know how to live their Christian life in a non-Christian world? In a non-Christian environment like their job? The Apostle Paul is telling Titus, the older women need to come alongside the younger women in the faith and teach them how to integrate their new walk with Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. How to raise their, Christian, how to raise their children uh, in the Christian faith. How to raise their families in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How to relate to a non-Christian husband, someone who doesn't appreciate their newfound faith. How to be a good Christian woman in a world that hates Christianity. And the older men as well. There are young guys, there are, they may be older in age, but young in the faith, who do not know how to integrate the Christian life into their families, into their places of employment, or even among their circles of influence. All too often, dear friends, the church has been grossly guilty of dipping them and dropping them. You've walked the aisle, you've signed the card, you've gone through baptism, you're on your own. 
Paul said, don't do that. An encourager is one who comes alongside those who are struggling to make their faith relevant, to make their faith real, to make their faith relatable. And where are they going to get that information? Where are they going to understand how that works if the older Christians, male and female, will not come alongside them and help them? I've been in ministry a long time now. Almost 50 years I've been in ministry. And I've seen, listen, dear friends, and it breaks my heart, I've seen far too many people come through the doors of the church looking with excitement for answers to the issues that they face in life only to turn around and leave the, back, leave the church through the back doors because no one would come alongside them and help them. Each of us can be a Barnabas to someone who is new in the faith or who is struggling in their faith. And each of us needs a Barnabas to help us grow deeper and stronger in our own faith. Point number three, Barnabas was faithful, available, and teachable to serve the Lord any time he was asked. Barnabas was faithful, available, and teachable to serve the Lord any time he was asked. Go back to Acts 4, verses 34. Acts chapter 4. Pointed it out, just want to Hit it one more time. 434. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet. They would be distributed to each as had need. Verse 37. And this Joseph, this Barnabas, who owned a tract of land, sold it brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. There was a need that was made known in the church. People are hungry. People are starving. People need financial assistance. Can you help? And Barnabas said, I own a tract of land. I'll sell it. I'll bring the money to the church and let the church apply the money where it is needed. In Acts chapter 11, turn to the right just a few chapters. In Acts chapter 11... We've already mentioned this, but I want to touch on it one more time. Verse 19 and following. Well, let's just drop down uh, to verse uh, 22. News about them, that is the, these Greeks who are becoming Christians, uh, news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when... He had come and witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. There was a need. 
leaders of the church in Antioch. We're hearing the people who are not Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Our mandate has always been to share the gospel with the Jews first. But now we're hearing that Greeks are coming to salvation in Jesus. We need somebody to go down and check this thing out. Who's going to go? Barnabas said, I'll go. I'll go. As the church continued to grow and to develop, and as more and more Gentiles were coming to faith, the Holy Spirit told the leaders in Antioch, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas. And I want you to send them out to take the good news of Jesus Christ to places outside the borders of Israel. Barnabas said, I'll go. Paul said, I'll go. And they went on that first missionary journey. Many Christians want to be spectators. Many Christians want to be spectators in the church. But what the church needs are encouragers. The church needs fat people. Fat people. Faithful, available, and teachable. The church needs people who will get involved in the ministries of the church so that other people can know the Lord Jesus Christ as you know the Lord Jesus Christ, so other people can grow in their faith as you have grown in your faith, so that other people can become participants in ministries like you are participating in ministries. But the problem is, dear friends, we get to a certain age and we say, I've spent my time and my energies and my effort and all of these things in the church and it's time for me to sit down and let the younger ones come up and take the reins. Problem is, for most of us who have been in ministry all these years, when we turn the reins over to the younger ones, they don't do it like we did it. They don't serve like we served. And so rather than help them along, we criticize them. We discourage them. Well, we ain't never done it that way before. I don't know how, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd be a millionaire. And those that we turn ministries over to become discouraged because of our criticism. And not only do they sit down from serving, eventually they leave. That's not being an encourager. We don't need murder hornets in the church to disrupt and discourage and defeat those who are actively involved in church life. We need honeybees. We need those who will work with each other to bring in resources so that the church can grow and develop and become more and more vital in ministry for the fourth point. Barnabas didn't quit his ministry when he faced roadblocks. Barnabas didn't quit his ministry when he faced roadblocks. Acts chapter 15, we've looked at it. We're going to look at it one more time. Verses 36 to 39. 
Acts 15, 36 to 39. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John called Mark along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Not all Christians get along. If you haven't found that out, stick around. Not all Christians get along. Not all Christian leaders get along. You'd think all Christian leaders were on the same page. No. Sometimes we're not even in the same book, let alone the same page. Paul didn't agree with Barnabas concerning John Mark, so they agreed to disagree. Not a long time ago, I was an associate pastor in a church. And my beloved pastor died of a massive heart attack. And this was back when I was in college. And there arose a division in the, in the church as to who would become the next pastor. Some wanted me since I was associate pastor, wanted me to become the pastor of the church. But I was still in college. I, I couldn't pastor a church when I was only 20 years old. And I had a full load in college, plus I had a full-time job. Couldn't do that. There were others who wanted another individual whom I knew fairly well, a much older pastor, a much seasoned pastor. There were others who wanted another individual who was fairly new to the church, but was a novice. And the debates became very heated. And I told the church at the very beginning, you know, I would not accept the pastorate at that point in time. I couldn't. And so the church became divided over these two individuals. And a number of the people were looking to me to settle the dispute. And I didn't know how. I was too young. I was too inexperienced. And so I went to one of my mentors, my Old Testament professor in college, Dr. Cecil Hyatt. And we sat down and we talked. And the bottom line, he said, you have to have an understanding about the ways of the Lord. Sometimes people will become divided over what they think the, the, the will of the Lord is in a particular situation. And other individuals will disagree. And you have to come to the point where you have to say, your ways are not my ways, and my ways are not your ways, and it's best that our ways should part. 
And that's exactly what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. They agreed to disagree. But they also agreed that it was time to separate. And it was time for Paul to go his way as the Lord would have him. And Barnabas would go his way as the Lord would have him. But even in the face of that roadblock, in the face of that obstacle, Barnabas did not quit. He didn't sit down and, or take his marbles and go home. He continued to be an encourager to young John Mark and took John Mark with him to Cyprus where they could minister to the people on the island of Cyprus. And John Mark grew in his faith. He matured in his faith because of Barnabas, because Barnabas wouldn't give up on him. Barnabas wouldn't abandon him. He took him and he nurtured him and he raised him just like the Apostle Paul did Timothy. Was he successful in this? Absolutely. His mentoring, John Mark, paid off. Because when the Apostle Paul was in a prison in Rome and he was getting ready to die, he told Timothy, when you come to visit me, Bring the scrolls with you. I want to read the scriptures again. Bring the scrolls with you. Bring my coat with you. And don't forget to bring John Mark with you. He can be of service to me before I die. Encouragers are prepared to share the burdens and to endure the struggles of ministry with people. Encouragers do that. They're willing to look beyond the immediate situation, evaluating not only the problem, but the needs. Not only of the church, but also of the person. And then to apply themselves to the solution of those needs. An encourager is not one who just sits down and says, well, you've got this option, you've got that option. No, the encourager is the one who comes alongside and helps that individual explore those options to consider how those issues can be resolved. Barnabas did not give up on Saul when he faced opposition from the apostles. He didn't give up on John Mark when he faced opposition from the apostle Paul to take him on the second missionary journey. And like Barnabas, dear friends, we are called to come alongside others, especially those who are weak in the faith and those who are struggling in their spiritual lives. We need to come alongside them and encourage them, to mentor them, to help them see, understand, and then apply themselves. We're called to come alongside those who rejoice at God's grace in their lives. We need to come alongside them and cheer them on. We need to come alongside them and encourage them to stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We should also look for opportunities to praise people who bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ through their work, through their faith. We should demonstrate a generous spirit when it comes to giving sacrificially to the ongoing work of the Lord. Not just financially, but also personally. Barnabas, and I'll close with this. Barnabas left a great 
legacy. Did he not? He was a strong man of faith. And he left a reputation that becomes an example for Christians' generations after him. He invested his life in laying up storehouses of treasure in heaven. Because that's where his heart truly was. His name was Joseph. But people knew him as Barnabas, son of encouragement. I wonder, what nickname does the Lord have for you? What spiritual nickname does the Lord have for you? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.